It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Community Health Journal Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And each week we are here with public health and Cadillac medical experts to share important health information with you, our listeners. And we have a lot of ground to cover today, including dealing with the dangerously cold temperatures. Later in our program, we will share valuable safety advice on that, plus get the most current update on the respiratory viruses that are running through our community and seriously impacting our health care system. And news that has just come in, the Benton Franklin Health District is reporting the first local flu death in our area. We will check in with the local health district's lead infectious disease nurse later in our program. In our first half hour today, a frontline look at how emergency department nurses are handling and coping with the triple threat combination of flu, RSV, and COVID that has filled our local hospitals. Our first guest is Roger Casey. He's an emergency department nurse at Catholic Regional Medical Center, and Roger works out of the Catholic Freestanding Emergency Department in Kennewick and is actually just uh, joining us live from the ER where he is beginning his 12-hour shift. And, Roger, first of all, thanks for taking a few minutes to join us and another busy night ahead, I'm sure, and I'm guessing the bone-chilling weather outside is not going to help. Yeah, thanks, Jim, for having me on. And, yeah, it's it's pretty cold out there, and we do get a lot of people that come in, especially those who are homeless, they'll come in. Um, and, you know, we have people that come in with, you know, cold-related illnesses and, and conditions as well. So it's going to be a busy night. We already have, you know, all our rooms full and people in the waiting room. So We wanted to have you, and in, in our next segment, we're going to have a, a colleague ER nurse from the Richland Hospital uh, Emergency Department to just give some context for our listeners on just what it's been like and what it's currently like out in the in the hospital setting and and obviously we touched on there's RSV there's still some COVID and the flu is going around and cer- evidenced by that uh, certainly it can be very serious and even resulting in death but what what are you seeing as an ER nurse you've been at this a long time I know. And have you ever seen anything like this, even if you if you reflect on the COVID experience? You know, I've been doing this for 26 years in the emergency department, you know, um, nursing. And I can tell you this is probably the worst flu season that I've seen in the 26 years that I've been a nurse. We're seeing a lot of flu A. We're seeing a lot of RSV in kids. We're seeing some COVID still. And we're seeing a lot of combination. We'll see kids that come in that have flu and RSV, um, flu and covid and uh, the kids seem to be hitting it worse because, of course, you know, their airways are smaller. So if there's any kind of inflammation, their airways are going to be impacted first. Um, adults have a little bit larger airways so they can handle some of this stuff. But we're still seeing, you know, flu. I, I, I've never seen this much flu in a flu season, um, I don't think, ever. And I know later in our program, Heather Hill has been a regular guest on this program throughout the COVID pandemic, and we've talked about how some of these, you know, we did such a good job during the pandemic of distancing and wearing masks, and and now that's probably the first year in a few years where the, the it's been relaxed, but it's also seen an increase in flu and, and respiratory virus. I know it's just been very, very busy. It's been well publicized in the last 
few weeks all over the country, but certainly here in our community as well. The ERs are very, very full. And coming out of a three-year pandemic, I know uh, all of the healthcare system is very taxed right now. How are you feeling personally right now? I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you're tired, and I'm sure it's frustrating. But uh, still, you're you're there working and doing your work. Yeah, it's been exhausting, and you know this job is really physically challenging because um, you're on your feet for 12 hours. It's mentally draining some nights, and it can be emotionally draining as well. I, you know, during the COVID pandemic when we were seeing all kinds of stuff, you know, I kind of. Uh, the way that I kind of dealt with it is I kind of try to find one thing I'm thankful for each night. And I started kind of just listing my, what am I grateful for? And I think that really kind of helped change my mindset. My coworkers are tired and, you know, they're exhausted too. It's, you know, I mean, I don't know that I've ever had a job where you come in and for 12 hours, you just go, 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 go the entire time because we were so busy. And, you know, we try to, you know, encourage each other and <clears throat> let them, know that, you know, we're still here, we're here as a team, we're going to do this. And we want the patients to know that we're going to take care of them too, But um, and we want to take care of them the best we can. And we realize that, you know, everybody's tired, everybody's been at this for a long time. This has been a long haul since the, the COVID pandemic hit, and um, it's just, we're just hoping for that ray of sunshine where something's going to say, you know what, it's all going to be all right. <laughs> you know, you and I have known each other for a number of years, and I know we have had you on this program throughout the years talking about a variety of topics, usually related to emergency uh, room care and trauma and things of that nature. But you touched on things that you do. I know you 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 like to write and you like to reflect on, and certainly if you've been at it for 26 years, you must love being a nurse. You know, this has been a really good career, and I kind of just kind of fell into it. Um, I really wanted to go to school. <clears throat> when I was out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I joined the Air Force. Instead, I was a medic in the Air Force, and got out and saw nursing, jumped into nursing, and it's like, hey, and that's kind of how I became a nurse, the short story of it. And, yeah, it's it's been a long while, <clears throat> and it's been a good career for me. I've, I really do feel it, you know, and I feel this for, for a lot of people as well, that they feel that it's their calling um, as well. And I do feel that this is a calling of sorts that you're able to take care of people in their time of need. And it's um, I'm kind of going back to, you know, you know, all our cowork- all my coworkers, they, you know, we want to take care of people and we want to do the best we can. But, you know, when we are overwhelmed and we're short on supplies or, you know, our coworkers are sick too because we're human and it just, you know, it kind of, helps us it makes us feel a little bit frustrated that we can't give it our all when we're not all at our 100 percent best and that includes everybody from patients to providers you but, t- you had touched I on said, though that you when you you know you reflect in whether it's writing or just probably getting away and thinking but you know that one grateful thing you know maybe give our listeners an example it's probably advice we could all learn from but but you know, gosh, it's colder than the world outside. It's really, it's really bitter cold right yeah. now. And yes, there's a lot of illness going. But maybe give us an example of some of the resilience tips that you have uh, employed for yourself over the years. Well, I have great coworkers, and I have to, you know, <clears throat> say first and foremost, my coworkers have been some of the greatest coworkers I've worked with. But you know, you come in and you know you're just dreading walking in, and you open up your locker, and there's like a little bag of snacks from a coworker. Just says, hey, was thinking of you. Just wanted you to have a good good night. Um, 
or, you know, that one patient that comes out and says, you know, thank you so much because you really helped me. And it's interesting that I've saved all the cards that I've gotten from patients over the years. And sadly, it's only been a handful. But I remember one that I had that the, um, the parent actually, it was a kid that was sick. It was not too long ago. And as they were leaving, I said, you know, you guys will be in my thoughts and prayers. And I got a card back from the mom saying that that really stuck with her. And she was really grateful that somebody would go out of their way and say that, you know, somebody would care enough to say that to them. And so it's just those kind of things that you're grateful for, that you're able to make a difference. And then it kind of helps, you know, kind of fill your bucket again, if you will. That's kind of a trendy saying, but kind of fill your bucket and make you come back. Um, coworkers are the ones that I think you come back for because you're in it together. Only your coworkers really know what um, what you're kind of going through because they're going through it together. And, you know, family at home, just having a good support system at home really helps where you can come home and just, I think my wife um, feels that I'm just like, <laughs> some nights it's like, okay, just let Roger go. <laughs> Let him go to his room. He just needs to decompress. <laughs> but she's been great because um, you can talk to them, and, and and they're there for you, and they're there, and they support you. And I think it's good to have that support system around. And I think that's what helps um, to build resiliency is building resiliency in, in your coworkers as well. Just one final question before we let you go. And, and you touched on many grateful patients that you encounter during, in your work, some of them result in, in thank you cards and acts of gratitude. But I know obviously at this time when, when the, when it can be a long wait to get in just because of the, the, the numbers of people that are ill, but the patients I'm sure aren't at their best either. And do you have some just advice, uh, maybe a concluding comment for people that, you know, just, you may be feeling ill and, but do your best to be patient. Yeah, you know, we, we, we're we trained to look for subtle cues to see how sick you are. Um, we will triage you, and it's not like we're forgetting you or, or we're not, but, you know, just be kind to us. We're, you know, we're trying to get through this together as well. And for the most part, people um, people are, are very kind and pleasant, and they understand. And there's, you know, occasional ones that, you know, I feel entitled and that they need to be seen right now, right away. And it's like, you know, it's not how this works. It works based on the severity of your illness. And so we triage, you know, looking for, you know, what is the most life-threatening thing that can happen and kind of work backwards to see, you know, is this person experiencing life-threatening injury or illness and do we need to get them back right away? Um, and so it's just, you know, be patient and be kind. Kindness, it doesn't cost anything and it pays dividends. Well, I think that's a tremendous way to conclude this interview. Roger, thank you so much for taking some time, and thank you for 26 years of incredible service as a nurse. We know uh, just listening to you, and I know you personally, and, and can vouch that you know, you're as, as caring as they come. And so thanks for taking the time. Have a great holiday, and I hope tonight isn't too busy is the best way I can say it. Roger Casey. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. You got it. Roger Casey, an emergency department nurse at Catholic Regional Medical Center, currently working at the freestanding ER in Kennewick. And we will be back with one of his colleagues who works at the Richland ER. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. 
Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And tonight, as we get ready to uh, see our temperatures go below zero again, we're go- certainly going to be addressing that later in our program. We're spending the first half hour of our program talking to some frontline emergency department nurses at Catholic Regional Medical Center about what they're currently seeing amidst this latest respiratory virus that is making its way through our region. And I know it's made an incredible strain on the emergency rooms around the Tri-Cities and the first responder community. And we're happy to be joined right now by Paula Spencer, who is an emergency department nurse at Catholic Regional Medical Center, and she works at the main campus in Richland. And And I know, Paula, we talked to Roger just a moment ago, who's working actually tonight at the freestanding emergency room in Kennewick. You work at the campus in Richland, and I know ERs in general are just extremely busy right now. How are you hanging in there? And uh, maybe just an initial perspective from your, your view as an emergency room nurse. Yeah, it has definitely been um, quite a struggle for us to keep up with the numbers um, with just kind of an increased number of people who are really sick, um, some of it with this respiratory virus that's going around, but just kind of a general um, hodgepodge of things coming in, um, working with uh, decreased numbers of nurses and just doing the best we can um, to take care of people as the safest and um, most effective way. I know one of the challenges that's been happening is, and and that's why I wanted to have people like you on that can give some perspective. I know one of the things we've talked about, it happened during COVID, and I know it's happening again, just the limited bed availability. And and folks here, I know when when the emergency room gets busy and they need to be admitted, sometimes there's not a vacant bed up on the inpatient floors available. Maybe just a quick overview of how that works and one of the cha- what's the challenge that you face that someone who wa- may wa- need to be hospitalized, but they're just waiting for a bed to open up. It's a real, it's a real, uh, I guess, chess game to get to manage all of this. Yeah, it definitely is. Just on Sunday, there were 20 people waiting for beds upstairs and very limited discharges from upstairs to make room for new people who needed to be admitted to the hospital. Um, And that kind of stems from trouble discharging upstairs um, in the um, inpatient units that can be to facilities in the community or figuring out various things that those people need at home to go home and then um, moving our people upstairs and when we talk to our transfer center of who needs to go upstairs first um, based on what they need, it's very much a chess game to figure out who who needs that bed first. You are an ER nurse. How long have you been an ER nurse? For just over six years. So I'm guessing you like it. <laughs> I do. I stressful? Love it. <laughs> Certainly in this case, very stressful, right? It definitely can be, yes. Um, and I think our team is great in... Um, helping us kind of weather the storm. If you could take a moment again to to maybe shed some light on our listeners so they understand. I know one of the challenges is it's a real fine line, from, especially from an emergency room perspective, to, to tell people, you know, when is the right time to come to the ER? Because obviously come if you, if you feel it's a true emergency, but sometimes uh, is that the case where people – they don't have another outlet to go to, and they just end up there. Is, is the key that you urge is, if you have to come in, please be patient? 
Yes, definitely. Um, I recognize the struggle to get into primary care and urgent cares and the express care. Um, There's just not enough appointments open for the number of people in our um, community now. Um, And so being patient with us in the triage area specifically, the nurses and techs out there are doing the best they can. And um, in the back, we're trying to move people through as quickly as we can to see you and that is definitely our ask, is just to be patient with us and know that you're important to us, um, even if you're not the first one to go back. If you would maybe take a moment and just share what you mean by the triage process, because obviously if it's very busy and there's a lot of people in the waiting room waiting to be seen, it's not only first come, first serve, and you don't make reservations. Yeah, um, our nurses are trained to see who's the sickest, and um, that is a series of of um, assessments, including your vital signs and uh, medical history and uh, just taking into account all of those things as uh, pieces of the puzzle uh, and working working with the patient and the patient's family to help with that communication out there in order to make sure that everybody is safe. And maybe another interesting point that I, I don't know that the, the the listenership of this radio station is beyond just the Tri-Cities, and, and I'm guessing in your world you touched on a term, the transfer center. There are patients that come into Cadillac from well beyond the Tri-Cities, so you're not only managing the patients that are just showing up in the emergency room from in and around the Tri-Cities, you're dealing with other hospitals that want to send their patients to the Tri-Cities as well, correct? Yes. And talk a little bit about how that works. I mean, what, why that is. It's just because Cadillac has those specialty services that may not be available in some of the smaller communities? Yes, definitely. Uh, we are not only the regional like trauma center, um, but we do have a lot of specialties that the outlying communities don't have. So they, those hospitals will call our hospital transfer center and then talk to one of our emergency room physicians and whatever specialty they are needing, um, and they come to a joint decision whether we can accommodate that transfer request or not. How's the, how, how are you and your colleagues, uh, how do you get through all of this? I know you're all, it's, it's a calling. I, I've heard it said many times from nurse friends of mine and healthcare people that work on the front lines. Uh, is it a case where that's just what you do? For me, that is definitely the case. Um, seeing the difference that I can make in patients' lives, sometimes in a pretty immediate way. That's what I love about the emergency room. I actually um, just yesterday ran into a patient that told me that I was the one who took care of her uh, when she was very sick, and I just said, oh, yeah, we, you know, I'm glad that we could take care of you, and she's like, no, you took care of me, um, and it's those moments that really make it for me. I was going to say, I bet that makes you... That's the ultimate compliment when, when somebody who has received your care actually stops you. But, but I, is again, you know, you've been at this for an ER nurse for six years, and I think you shared with me that an, a nurse for eight or so years be, uh, as w- uh, fully, um, mm-hmm. why ER? Is that just because it's nothing the same every minute? Yeah, I um, really like learning new things, and so the, it kind of leaves that, for endless possibilities that, they, you know, there's always an opportunity that you're going to see something you haven't seen and just kind of not doing the same thing every day. And like I touched on, just getting to see the 
difference you make in people's lives a lot of times right away. Interesting. Well, maybe just a concluding comment before we let you go, just a reminder for po- for folks. I know, again, touching on that fine line, you certainly, if, if you feel it's an emergency, do utilize the emergency department. But if you don't feel that it's an emergency, don't utilize the emergency department. It's kind of a, that's a, a two, two-edged message. Yeah, one of the things specifically is if, if your primary goal is to come in to be tested for influenza or COVID or even RSV, um, we won't always test you if you don't fit into a, a high-risk category or you're not um, not significantly ill. Mm-hmm. So that expectation of coming in to, to have that done um, can sometimes be disappointing for people. So... If you have a chance, check with your, if you have a physician or try yeah. and, and try and get to an urgent care or an express care. Mm-hmm. And manage your symptoms in the meantime with over-the-counter medications like ibuprofen, Tylenol, cough medicine. Well, thank you for taking some time and send our best wishes to all of your colleagues. I know it's it's not an easy time and it's been this way for, gosh, going on three years. Paula Spencer, an emergency department nurse at Catholic Regional Medical Center. Thank you and we'll be back with more of Catholic on Call thank in you. a moment. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. At the top of our program, we shared with you that the Benton and Franklin County area has seen its first flu-related death of this flu season. A Franklin County man in his 90s is the first reported influenza-associated death in our area in 2022. And my guess is it won't be the last just because flu is pretty pervasive in our community. And we're happy to be joined by Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And and Heather, it seems like every week there's uh, some newsworthy-related item. I know last week it was an incidence of a commercial and avian influenza, commercial flock, certainly COVID now, and we've well documented our the, the, the respiratory virus that is going on in our region, and now a flu death. Maybe just an initial con, uh, comment of where we are right now uh, relative to this virus, the respiratory virus in the community. Sure. When we look at our data, again, through the um, reporting systems that let us see what the traffic is and why people go to the emergency rooms, Unfortunately, our, our respiratory virus, our respiratory visits are continuing to be extremely high. We know that influenza is very active in our community as well as across the state. I think what's troubling is when we look at really just we're in December and usually flu gets bad later in January, but we're in December seeing what we typically see later in the season and currently in Washington State, we've seen just over 40 deaths. And the real unfortunate situation is that includes three children. We typically think of influenza as, you know, a disease of the elderly and most dangerous for the elderly, which it certainly is. But we can't forget that it can certainly be deadly for children and, frankly, for any age. You just never know what is going to happen when you catch flu especially for people with underlying health conditions like pulmonary problems, um, heart problems, or diabetes. That can 
make an outcome to flu not be very good. And I know you can't get into great detail, but the, the, the incidents uh, that the gentleman from pa- the Franklin County area in his 90s died of, of the flu and, again, probably age and, and underlying health conditions, kind of like what we saw during COVID, the vast majority. Right. All those um, conditions definitely will add up and you're less likely to surprise, uh, survive many of these infections that are, are swirling around our community right now. All right, we're at December 21st as we are speaking today, and obviously Christmas is coming, and and I know it's, you know, get the vaccine, the flu vaccine, the COVID vaccine, whatever, but just what the where we are with the community, is it is it likely to get worse before it gets better? I know it hit the west side much faster uh, or much earlier than it did make it make its way to eastern Washington. What's it like over there? Are we seeing it taper off a little bit so that maybe we can look forward to that? Or, or what is the current situation? You know, indications are that it's starting to taper off a little bit, but not to the point that we can start breathing a sigh of relief. I think where we're at right now, many schools are out, so we don't have kids going to school, and sometimes that can break the cycle of transmission, just not having kids congregating in school. Sure. But... Now that backs us right into the holiday season where there are a lot of group gatherings and a lot of families getting together, out and about shopping. This is probably a really good time for people uh, to consider wearing those masks again, especially when you are out in crowded areas, shopping, moving about the community. This is a a good time to just grab those masks, put them on again, and um, be as safe as possible. It's a little late. Right now, you know, of course, to get your flu vaccine to protect you for Christmas, but it's not too late to get your flu vaccine to protect you for the rest of the season. Um, You're really going to need to rely on those other mitigation strategies if you haven't gotten your flu vaccine. Um, The masking, the washing hands, keeping your hands away from your eyes, your nose, your mouth. Um, ventilation is always important. Um, opening a little bit of a window to let some air flow. I know right now it's as cold as it is. That may not be real comfortable, but um, trying to reduce your chance of being exposed to the viruses that are out and about as much as possible. And relative to the flu, certainly we've just documented that it can be fatal. But with the vaccine itself, are we seeing that this version for this year is effective, that if it doesn't prevent it, at least if you get it, it really taper or it really diminishes the, its impact? At this point, it appears that it's a pretty good match for the flu that is out there circulating currently, and we hope it stays that way. But again, we have to remind people that just like most other vaccines, they're not 100% preventive. So what it might do for you is not prevent you from catching influenza, but it could help prevent some severe um, problems as related to catching influenza, and it could certainly help prevent deaths from influenza. A question before we shift topics uh, in our next segment to get uh, some tips on dealing with this really bitter cold, but uh, relative to the respiratory virus, if someone feels like they've got symptoms, do they need to be, is it important for them to, to be tested to see if they have the flu or not? Or is it just, if, if you do, you're just going to take comfort measures anyway, so just try and try and uh, 
do the comfort measures to, to do that. What's your advice for folks like that? You know, I would say if you're an individual who has underlying health conditions and getting that positive influenza test would lead your provider, your medical provider, to order you, say, Tamiflu to help with those symptoms of influenza, then absolutely you want to get tested. And that's the conversation you need to have with your medical provider, especially people, again, with heart problems, lung disease, diabetes, obesity. If you are in that situation, then finding out you're, you're positive for influenza might be the information that your medical provider needs to get you on Tamiflu so you are more likely to have a good outcome. And are you finding relative, I know the, the RSV virus that's mainly been impacting children, are you finding that that's hopefully waning a little bit, or is it still very, very with us? It is still very much with us, but again, um, we'll see little blips up and down in our data, and we have to look at trends over a matter of you know days to weeks to really say, yes, it's going down, because about the time we we think we're seeing the downward trend, something happens and boom, it, it bounces right back up again. So we want to see a sustained downward trend over a matter of days and weeks. And before we shift topics uh, relative uh, to the cold weather, uh, regarding these respiratory viruses in particular, the flu, what should people watch for? I know everybody is pretty conscious of, of the symptoms, but is there any distinguishing symptoms that people really need to be watching for? It's, it's that inability to breathe. If you cannot catch your breath, if you are struggling to breathe, if, if you're using all your muscles, and, and your children especially, if they're using all their muscles just to take a breath in and out, that's when you need to get seen. If you're seeing blueness around the lips, your fingernails start to, you know, the tips of your fingers start to turn a little dusky or your toes are getting a little dusky, that's when you need to get in and get checked out for sure. We're visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather is a nurse by training and certainly well-versed well on all the expertise with, with respiratory virus and the like. When we come back, we're going to have her shift uh, her focus to this bitter cold and what we all need to be watching for if we do venture outside and some helpful tips that we can guard against uh, making ourselves very dangerous. Back with more of our program right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. We have significant respiratory virus. We have bone-chilling temperatures. I'm looking at my phone. It's currently 11 degrees outside, and it says the wind chill factor is at minus 5. Visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. And, Heather, maybe the first tip is anybody that does want to venture outside and gets exposure, what should they be looking for relative to the word hypothermia and staying safe? Sure. This time of year with what's going on outside, hypothermia is a definite risk and a definite concern. And what happens is if you get too cold and your body temperature drops by about, to about 95, typically about 98, that's where we start to see internal organs start to be damaged. 
And some of the symptoms, actually the very first symptom you need to look for is shivering. If that person you're with or if you are starting to shiver and you're out in the cold, that's the first indication that you need to change what you're doing and get inside and get to where there's some warmth. And then we'll see it progress to slurred speech, clumsiness, the pulse will get a little bit weak. And then that lack of coordination, we'll see some memory loss, dizziness. And confusion, and that's where the buddy system is really important. So if you're, whether you're out hiking or working, maybe you're in construction, or you're a duck hunter out in the duck blind, these are the times you really need to keep an eye on the person you're with because they may not realize that they're starting to get cold and starting to show these symptoms because of how it affects the brain. And so what may take you looking at them and going, hey, we need to get out of here. We need to get you warmed up and um, get back to safety. So this is a time of year that, that it is really dangerous to be out there. And certainly people that have to work in it or recreate, they, want, they choose to recreate in it. Um, you know, if that's, if that's the case, there are some precautions just as far as, you know, we hear the term layering and things of that nature, but just make sure your, especially your, your head, I understand, make sure you're wearing a hat because, uh, that, yeah, that yeah, starts it's first. Interesting about, yeah, 40 to 45% of your heat goes out the top of your head, you know, so simply putting on a hat along with layering and, um, other, you know, good footwear, good good uh, covering on your hand, but make sure you've got a hat on, and that will significantly decrease the heat loss out of your body. Relative to hypothermia, I mean, is this a case where guests get to the emergency room if you suspect it and you're, you're feeling some of those symptoms, and, and how is it treated? Sure. Um, severe hypothermia is definitely a trip to the emergency room, and usually a, that happens after a, a traumatic event, such as falling into the river um, going through the ice, most mild hypothermia can be handled on your own. If you can get that person warmed up, if you can get them sipping some warm fluids, then they're going to be just fine. But if that person is slipping in and out of consciousness, if you come upon somebody who's unresponsive and you feel it's from cold or any reason, that's a 911 call. And unfortunately, we do have a rather large homeless population in our community, and this is a really, really difficult time for them. There are suggested warming centers, such as going to the mall, libraries, places like that. But this can be a really difficult time, especially at nighttime when those places aren't open and they don't have a place to get in. So, you know, keep an eye out. And, and be kind when you run into people who are very, very cold and maybe not in the best situation. You know, try to help as much as possible. And, and one final comment on that regard. You touched on it, this, this buddy system. Uh, folks that have neighbors that might be homebound and making sure that they're okay because obviously if the heating system has challenges or things of that nature, just another reminder of being neighborly. Right, and, and we know a lot of our elderly who live on a fixed income tend to turn their heat way down in the winter, and they, the elderly and the very young tend to not do as well with cold, so absolutely check on them. Watch for those lights coming on and off in the house. If they're expected to be home and you're not seeing lights coming on, 
then that's an indicator you probably need to go over there and check on them and just make sure that, that they're okay. You know, not only the, the humans do we need to be concerned about, but we certainly need to be concerned about our animals and making sure that they are not in a situation where they're going to get hypothermic. Um, the water is starting to freeze up. We tell people don't go out on the ice. You're going to fall through, and that is deadly. But also watch your pets. Don't let your pets run out onto the ice because they can fall through as well. And we've seen across you know the nation every year people die because they're trying to rescue their pet that went through the ice. Don't let your pet out on the ice just like you shouldn't go out on the ice. A concluding comment, Mash, we've covered a lot of ground from virus to the cold and everything else, and is maybe the the word of, of the holiday season, just, just be cautious and, and be smart and be, be careful? Yeah, be very careful what you're doing. Watch out for each other. This is the time of year that we really come together as a community more than ever and and be kind, be thoughtful, be understanding, keep an eye out for each other. And, you know, we'll get through those cold snaps, you know, just fine if we can help each other out a little bit. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your valuable time and expertise. Again, if you need any information relative to the cold weather, some of these symptoms of hypothermia, issues relating to uh, the flu and, uh, and RSV and COVID and vaccinations on where that's available, the Health District has a very robust website with information on any and all of these topics. Our thanks to Heather and thanks to our two emergency department colleagues from Cadillac. Have a great holiday season. We'll see you in a few weeks. Be safe out there and have a great Christmas. Thank you.